Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice as you speak to us about who we are, who you would have us be and how we should live. We pray it all so that Jesus would be honoured and glorified. Amen. Our modern Western culture is infatuated with a search for individual identity, finding out who we are and then asserting that identity. It's the modern equivalent of going on a pilgrimage. We see it as something romantic and noble to go on a quest to find out who you are. We love movies about these journeys of self-discovery. Remember Happy Feet, or Frozen, or Billy Elliot. We attend yoga retreats, or go on long holidays, or leave a marriage to find ourselves. We train for a marathon, or climb a mountain to find out what we're made of. We complete personality tests, like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, we do career, careers guidance surveys or spiritual gift inventories to work out what our strengths and weaknesses are. In fact, this individual expression of identity, it's so important in our culture, it's taken on a moral dimension. The greatest good you can do is to be true to yourself, no matter what damage you might do to other people in the process. And in fact, the greatest harm you can do to someone else is to deny them being their true self. And so to impose any sort of corporate responsibility or limits on an individual, that's seen as something that's oppressive and immoral. Uh, Limits that come from society or the family or the church or the government. Now this focus on the individual, it's produced lots of good things. Uh, the abolition of slavery, fairer work conditions, uh, greater human rights, uh, protection against domestic violence. All of those things are good things. Yeah. In the last 20 years, we've seen, uh, we've seen how it's been expressed in uh, ex- sexual identity. People affirming their right to choose who they're attracted to and how they express it and the gender they identify with. Uh, the rightness of that and and the wrongness of preventing people from expressing it. Uh, We're so immersed in this individual expression of identity uh, that we don't even realise it. Uh, And yet it's a very different way of thinking to most cultures around the world, to more traditional cultures or to Eastern cultures. Uh, For people who come from those cultures, Their identity comes from the group that they are part of. They don't choose their identity, they don't discover it, it's given to them. Others tell them who they are and how they should live and others hold them to account. They belong, they fit, they're part of a family, part of a community, they're part of a team and they have responsibilities as part of that. So this language of going on a journey of self-discovery, insisting on creating your own identity, now they just seem like a completely foreign thing to to many people in the world. The moral compass swings the other way in these cultures. 
in these cultures to fulfill your responsibilities to the group. That's the right thing. But to assert your rights, to do your own thing, that's actually the selfish choice, the the wrong moral decision. Uh, Two different ways of thinking about the individual and the group. Uh, We've seen this difference in the way different cultures have coped with the COVID pandemic. Now, as a general rule, Eastern cultures would comply willingly with all the restrictions, like face masks. They recognise their responsibility to the group. It's part of their identity. Uh, But in my assessment, it took longer for us to come round to that way of thinking in the West. Uh, We weren't so compliant. We felt this need to preserve our individual freedoms. Uh, It's interesting looking at politicians as they've tried to encourage us to have a group responsibility, a communal, shared, harmonious identity. Uh, Notice how they've tried to address the individual actions that have been compromising this community. Uh, They call out people who are being selfish, who hold house parties or freedom marches that become super spreader events. Now I wonder if perhaps we're learning Uh, But I still suspect the main reason we we are complying, staying home, getting vaccinated, wearing masks, is this longer-term individual reward that will get back our personal freedoms. Uh, Another way this search for self-identity works itself out is how we relate to people who are different to us. Uh, The whole idea of community becomes something quite different. Uh, Rather naturally... Rather than naturally looking outward, uh, thinking about where we fit in with others, how we can play our part, uh, we look inward uh, to identify our personal identity and meaning. Uh, Others are welcome only when they fit with us. And so we gather with people who are like us, who agree with us, who we can identify with. It becomes difficult to understand or relate to those who are different. It becomes awkward and inconvenient to have to adapt to others. People shouldn't expect us to change. Questions about our opinions and positions are not welcome. Disagreements become a personal attack. It's much easier to just walk away and find a group who are just like you. And so we see a tribalism developing in our societies. Uh, It's based around your football team or your job or your sexual orientation or your politics. And we spend more and more time with people who are just like us. And other tribes are not welcome because they don't fit. There's misunderstanding and suspicion and criticism. Uh, Someone who holds a different opinion to you becomes your enemy. Well, that's a very brief portrait. It it may or may not be accurate. It's my impression. But it's into this situation that the Bible speaks to us because Christianity teaches something different. It teaches that our identity is not something that we discover or choose. We don't find who we are by looking inside. God tells us who we are. He created us. He makes us his children. He sets us in place. Now here's my assertion, Christianity works because having that identity makes life better.
When we have the identity that God gives us, we belong. We know where we fit. We know our final destination. And because that's secure, it means that we can be consistent. It means we can genuinely be other person-centred. We can focus on our responsibilities to fulfil others and discover and enjoy them, even those who are different to us, rather than being threatened by the differences. And we can actually enjoy, without strings or expectations, the good things of this world for what they are, the good things that others get their identity from. But we don't need to do that because our identity is not defined by them. And so work can just be work that satisfies and makes a difference rather than defines. Achievement can be enjoyed for what it is rather than what it makes us. And our family can be a joyful responsibility rather than a burden that defines us. We're looking at Peter's first letter, and he begins by describing his readers. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Right from the outset, his readers are not independent moral agents. They don't choose their identity. They are God's elect, his special possession. On the one hand, they're strangers in the world. They don't fit in, in, in all sorts of ways. The word strangers, it's, it's the word for aliens or immigrants. These Christians are on tourist visas. At the moment, they're scattered all over the place, but their true home is actually with God. Uh, This world we live in is temporary. We're just passing through. Now that gives a different perspective on the things of this world, the things that are important and the things that are not, on how foolish it is to find your identity in temporary things that we'll leave behind. In verse 2, Peter expands on what it means that we are God's elect. Verse 2, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. The initiative belongs with God. He set his plans in place for his children from the beginning of time. Plans that his Holy Spirit would set them apart from the rest of the world, sanctify them. Set set apart for a special purpose. And what's the purpose? To be obedient to Jesus, to be cleansed from sin by his blood. Now these are all images uh, taken from the Old Testament and they describe God's covenant commitment to the nation of Israel. But now Peter's applying them to God's people, the Christian church scattered all over the world. They have a group identity as God's people. And it's not one that is internally discovered because it's been externally declared. It's been given to them by God himself. That purpose, that identity is to be connected to the Trinitarian God, 
Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? It's the Father who determines their identity. It's the Spirit who who realises or brings about that identity. And the purpose, the goal of our identity is the obedience to Jesus, to the Son. He's the reason for our obedience. He's the one we aim to serve. That's what life's about. It's about... Uh, It's not about embarking on this journey of self-discovery. Life is about getting on board with what God wants to do in us, who he wants us to to become. Uh, This is an identity for every individual Christian in every age, in every culture. Uh, It's a plan, it's an identity that overlays or superimposes on all the other characteristics that we may identify with, ways in which we're different, whether we're Western or Eastern, rich or poor, married or single, young or old, left or right, working, studying, unemployed. Uh, Those are all sorts of decisions and choices that we do make, but all of them make up, uh, uh, all of those choices make up part of our identity. But overlaying all of that, is this identity that God gives his people. Elected, strangers in the world, but foreknown by the Father through the work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. And as we jump across to chapter 2, which was our reading, we see that this identity, it's far more than a solo appointment It's a deeply communal group identity. Have a look at verse 4. God gives you a place to belong. He makes you part of something bigger, together with all of God's people. Verse 4 of chapter 2. As you, plural, come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It begins as we come to Jesus. And because Jesus was rejected by people, when we come to him, we'll find that we too are rejected by the world. But that's okay. What more than makes up for that rejection is that God is building each of us into his people. He's fitting us together. Just as we are rejected by the world, we are being fitted together so that we belong. The way a stonemason fits stones into a building. And we're all joined to Jesus, who is the living stone. On our own, we're nothing. But together we are a spiritual house. It's the language of the Jewish temple. And we're not just bricks in a wall, but we are a holy priesthood. Our task together is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now this is the language of the Jewish priesthood, not just the temple. But the sacrifices Peter's thinking of 
are far greater than offering up some dead animal. Because you see, Jesus has already provided the sin offering. And so the sacrifices we offer are to be in response to that offering of Jesus. Our sacrifices are made acceptable by his sacrifice. God is pleased with our response, Peter says. And God's identity identity for us is something far grander than priests in a building. Our group identity is far greater than just one class of occupation taken from one tribe out of one nation. Uh, Jump down to verse 9 where Peter expands on what this group identity of priesthood is all about. Uh, Verse 8, most of the world rejects Jesus. They disobey the message about him. But verse 9, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once again, it's language borrowed from the Old Testament, Uh, used to describe Israel, but it's being applied to God's new people, people chosen out of every nation, from every age, from every language, and God is joining them together to become a new, distinctive people. That's us. They used to be nothing. They used to belong nowhere. They were scattered and diverse. But God gave them identity. He, He made them belong He joined them together. He chose them out of every human category to be one united people. Different to one another in so many ways, but the same in the way that counts. He appointed them to be priests, to stand between God and mankind, to represent one to the other. He appointed us to be little outposts for God, to be his ambassadors everywhere, wherever we might be. He appointed us to be his representatives to factory workers, to health professionals, to academics and refugees, to the homeless, to LGBTIQ identifiers. We are to represent God to them, not by offering dead animals on an altar or telling them how they should live, but by declaring his praises, describing his goodness, offering words of life and light and pointing them to Jesus, the one who can sprinkle anyone clean. God, who gives us our identity, who chooses and calls and sanctifies and builds us into his people. He calls us to live for his praise, not to live for our parents or our children, our boss or our peers. We don't need to prove ourselves or compare ourselves because we belong to him. We are his people, his priesthood, his nation. And when we've received our identity, 
It has more practical implications for how we live. We live out who we are. Our identity determines our behaviour, not just our words. Look there at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're not to be motivated by fitting in because we won't fit in. We are aliens and strangers. Accept it. Own it. You are different, so live different. There's a negative command and a positive command. The negative command, abstain from sinful desires. They war against your soul. We're to think of sinful desires that way. We're to think of pleasure and greed and power. They may look attractive, but they damage our soul. They scar and wound it. We were made for something different, something beyond this world. We've been called to be passionate about different things. That's the negative command. The positive command is there in verse 12. Peter urges the church to live such good lives among the pagans. Notice firstly we're to live among the pagans. Uh, it's literally we're to live, live such good lives in the nations. We are to be a holy nation in the nations. We're not to separate into a little holy huddle. We're to work in regular jobs. We're to play regular sport, go to regular parties, go on regular holidays. We need Christian doctors and miners and builders and teachers, Christian lawyers and policemen and zookeepers, Christian artists and academics and scientists. We're to live in the world, but we're not to be the world. Live such good lives, verse 12 says, be different, be salt, be light. Verse 9 said we're to declare his praises. Uh, here we're to combine those words with our actions. They have to go together, words and actions. Words have no power if our lives don't back those words up. Live such good lives. It's a call to generosity with our possessions and our time and our compliments. It's a call to purity in our thoughts and actions. It's a call to humility and forgiveness and acceptance in all our relationships. It's a call to honesty and hard work in our careers. And if we're living like that, when our critics look for a weakness, an inconsistency, when they attack us for being different to them, their words won't find any traction because the words will just miss the target. They won't be accurate and they'll grudgingly admit that there's something different, something otherworldly about us and will earn the right to speak about the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness 
who offers that same rescue to them. And all of that, it flows from the identity that God gives us. Aliens and strangers called out of the world. We're set free from seeking our own reputation and identity. We're set free from people's opinion of us. We're set free from what suburb we live in and what our income is and what car we drive and how successful our children are. When we can afford, uh, when we can't afford to do X or buy Y or visit Z, it won't crush us. We're set free from having to find a tribe, a group who are just like us, to feel validated, to know who we are. And it means we can be open and humble to learn from people who are different to us. We can serve them, we can forgive them and appreciate them because we don't have to win to be someone. We don't have to be agreed with or affirmed because we know who we are and whose we are. And what's more, all those things that people pursue to find their identity can actually be enjoyed. They can be set free and released uh, for what they are. Things like our family and our work and achievements and culture. They're part of who we are, but they don't define us because it's God who defines us. Uh, Tim Keller says, your work is still part of your identity, as are your family, your nationality and so on. But they are all relieved of the terrible burden of being the ultimate source of yourself and value. Uh, Who are you? What's your identity? Don't look in the mirror. Don't ask Google or Siri. Don't go on a pilgrimage. Instead, let your creator whisper this in your ear. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to listen to you rather than listen to the world or to look for answers inside ourselves. You have made us who we are. May we live it and think it for your glory. Amen.